listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. And here with me today, I have James Ingracia. He is the Executive Vice President of Client Services at Oxford Road. Super excited to have a conversation with James today. Welcome to the program. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So I'm curious, you are a little newer to the podcast industry. And how did you kind of get into the space? What was appealing to you about it? Well, I spent pretty much my whole career um, in radio and audio, which slowly transitioned into digital and all of that. So, but I worked for CBS radio, actually infinity, if you want to be technical for about six months, when it, until it turned into CBS radio and then intercom, we merged with intercom. And then that's where I left the radio industry. Probably about two years after that, I worked in New York. I always loved radio. I worked for a local radio station in New York prior to this WPLJ. That's no longer in existence. It went, uh, it went away about three years ago, but then just loved radio. Just loved listening in the car and driving around and listening to morning shows and hosts. And I always just wanted to do that. So after interning in the business and just getting a feel for a local station, there was an opportunity on the national side at CBS radio and worked in the national activation team for a national sales team. And it really just fell in love with the medium even more. And that whole different experience brought me through the years. And then as the media world changed and streaming came into the picture, then podcasts started coming into the picture. I realized after just working with a lot of different agencies that there's something really big going on podcasts, which I still think is in its infancy, but it definitely has a different way of approaching media planning and buying. And especially in our agency, it's all about direct response. So that was, it's always nice to see a direct correlation between a media campaign and the client's results. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So having come from the audio space, I mean, audio is audio, right, at some level, but I'm curious, is there anything that that you've seen that's been really unique about podcasting or maybe what sets podcasting apart from the radio industry that you were in? You know, the one thing that I've noticed, especially in a direct response world, is that the podcast hosts are very similar to radio hosts. You know, you do live reads and endorsements, and basically they would be telling their listeners on what they like and why they should their, their listeners should buy them. And podcast hosts are no different than that. The only difference is that all of them have a very, very targeted audience. So instead of just buying one morning show in a Los Angeles or New York or a national campaign, you're reaching a pretty wide net. Here, you're reaching just a very, very finite or big, depending on the host you buy, audience that actively selected to listen to that podcast. And the other difference is that also a podcast can only be served to people listening to it. (laughs) Unlike on the radio where it's out there and people may not be tuning in at a certain time when a spot airs. So there are some differences and depending on your brand's goals, both might be right for you. Radio might be right for you or podcast might be right for you. If you're looking for awareness versus conversion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, obviously important words there are awareness and conversion, but I find it really fascinating the way that media has become so segmented, right? Like if we look at at the history of media, or at least in my lifetime and your lifetime, I'm sure, it used to be like, gosh, if you advertised on these TV or network radio, you were getting such a big piece mm-hmm. of the the audience, right? Like, right. I mean, the making of Oprah, that podcast is just a great, great podcast. And what I loved so much about it was they talked about when people watched Oprah and when you advertised on Oprah, you were reaching like 
three-fourths of the U.S. population or like just some crazy number, which we could never do now because everything is so fragmented. So from a media buying perspective, obviously it is what it is and we're not going back, but do you think that it's more challenging to buy all these smaller shows than it is just to say, oh, well, I'm just going to advertise in LA and New York or, you know, these bigger markets and in, I'm going to get the bulk of the people anyways. Like that's just easier to manage than trying to manage all of these smaller little podcasts. Right. Well, you know, it's funny you say that about Oprah and TV way back when, but I think I just saw a headline last night or this morning that streaming TV viewership just surpassed linear. So like talk about fragments. So now you can, if you want to go buy just the major networks, you're actually not getting the lion's share. Podcast buying, you know, let's say this tongue in cheek, but it's hard. It's not easy. You can, we've seen um, some campaigns. We obviously have a lot of tools at our disposal, but we noticed some competitors or our clients who are on really big shows, but if you really drill down to it, it's, you know, they go by the top 10 or the top five shows on, on the iTunes chart uh, or the Apple podcast chart. And while that gives you really good reach and really great awareness, if your goals are all about conversion and targeting, then that's where it becomes challenging. But if you have the right people in place, as we do at Oxford Road on our media team and with relationships to all the networks, you may buy some of these larger shows to accomplish your high reach goals as a client. But then we're also going to buy a few dozen or even hundreds of smaller shows that may only have a few thousand people listening from time to time. But the goal there is that you're getting those really engaged people who you know are listening to that host for that content, and they're going to convert. And so you have to really have a very, very broad sense of what works, what doesn't, and the right tools at your disposal. So we have you know over nine years of cross-client data that we're able to utilize. So when we meet with one of our clients who has an objective, we can go back through our database and basically say, wait, well, that audience matches these six other clients and here's the shows that work for them. And then here's some lookalikes that work for them. And we're going to dedicate some to core, some to test budgets, and then we continually optimize. So it's not easy by any means, but it is really fruitful when it pays off and you get mm -hmm. to see the results come in and you, you know, whether they're, they're, there's a ROAS or a, yeah, whatever KPI might be, when you see that really start to go up because of the work that we've done, it's very fulfilling. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and I know at Oxford Road, you guys are super focused on performance marketing and direct response. But I I love this idea that you have the tools that you need to really create a campaign that works. And one of the things that you said that I find most interesting is these lookalike audiences, right? Because in podcasting, there is limited inventory. And, you know, I I do listen to terrestrial radio occasionally, not very often, but every time I listen, I am just overwhelmed by the number of ads, right? It's like, I, right. I they just go and they go and I keep thinking they're going to end, they're going to end. Nope, there's another, there's another, right? And there's so many ads. And really, you know, I would say podcasts are getting fuller, right? There are more ads in mm -hmm. podcasts today than there were six years ago, but there still aren't that many ads. So oftentimes, at least we find at True Native that some of our most popular shows sell out. And so, you know, people will be like, oh, I want to be on this show. I want to be on that show. And I'm like, well, yeah, that would be great, but it's full. So when you are looking, those lookalike audiences seem like a really good path to go down. Do you find that when you create a campaign using lookalike audiences that you have similar performance or like what are the criteria to, to you know, receive those results? Well, it's interesting because we do that often with lookalikes on that. And that's why we usually dedicate them to a test budget. Once we have our core, we dedicate a certain amount of tests because 
if it was that easy and you just found local likes and it worked, you, our clients would be incredibly happy with everything. Um, but when it comes down to really lookalikes, there's so many other factors that take place. So just on pure surface, you can take a lookalike show, like if these five shows worked and they all happen to be, I don't know, for example, like female hosts talking about politics, those all work. And you want to go find five more shows that are female hosts talking about politics. They may not work. And when you go a little bit deeper, which is what we technically, we, we try to do on almost all of our, our client analysis. We go a little bit deeper. We like to call it like a subgenre that we come up with at Oxford Road. And we've taken a look at it. So it's just because something is news and politics. If you take a little bit step lower, it may be something, maybe classified as news and politics, but it might be something a little bit different. It could just be a roundtable discussion. It could be a one-on-one interview. It could be just news headlines, but it all falls under that same category. So you may on the surface find lookalikes that are similar. And then you also see how it's bought. Perhaps the shows that worked did live endorsements baked in reads that were not dynamically inserted. And maybe the lookalikes only do dynamic insertion and that would affect the performance. Or maybe we had mid-roll first in pod placement and on these, you only had a pre-roll running. So there's a lot of different similarities that come up and sometimes that's out of our control when it comes to inventory. If we really want to be on the show, but they only have free rolls available or second, third place, mid roll, we will test it and see how it goes. But it's very hard to find an exact cookie cutter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on that. But we do try. Um, and more than that, we, we are successful. But there are times when you have everything that looks right should work. We test out something else and it just doesn't. And lastly, on that point too, buying podcasts, especially baked in and per episode, you're also at the mercy of the content of that episode. So there may be a big news item if we're staying with the news genre that happened this week. Everyone might be flocking to go listen to that episode. And then when you go by next week, it just may be your general evergreen type topic that may not get that many listeners, which will affect performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that you highlighted all those differences. And when I talk to advertisers about test planning, I think that all of those pieces are so important. And that's just in creating lookalike audiences. So I'm curious, going down that path of test campaigns, what are some other elements that you look at to create a good test in podcasting? We have a number of tools that at our disposal that we uh, we utilize for that. So we have an insights team that pulls audience insights, which we've been employing a, you know agency model that we do to to bring us through the planning process. But essentially, we'll go look and see what the insights are for a client and and what their target audience is and how it might shift if we're doing a holiday campaign, if we're doing an evergreen campaign on that. But some tools are getting very good about telling us which genres index the highest. But just because something index is really high doesn't mean that there's a lot of volume of, of listeners there. So there's a lot of different actually data that goes into it. We also utilize some tools that analyze social media followings of some of the hosts and the podcasts that we buy that inform us. Well, let's see, we were buying all these different comedian podcasts, but these six comedians actually are the top follower there. So there's some actually non-media or non-audio media metrics that we use to build that case. And again, cross-client data, like I said, you know, if we see a brand new show that just launched, you don't have any historical on it, but you can kind of look and see, was that a host, if they're a celebrity, were they on a guest of another podcast? How did that Easter perform? Or we can go look and see that network. How do they buy things? Are we, do they just do baked in? Do they do DAI? Do they do mid-rolls, pre-rolls? Can we track it with a pixel? There are so many different ways to build that, but typically, um, you know, we utilize a lot of tools and research in building mm-hmm. lookalikes versus mm-hmm. just 
you know, go and look at the top charts. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, I know that you've been talking a lot about dynamic versus embedded. And, you know, I always am like, of course, embedded works better than dynamic does in a lot of ways, right? Because the ad is going to be in there. It, there's a long tail. Um, you're getting impressions that really the advertiser isn't paying for. But about 85% of the ads that are happening in this space right now are dynamically inserted. Of course, that doesn't mean that they're all announcer-read ads. In most cases, a lot of them are either producer-read or host-read ads. Are you finding that there's a big difference in performance between dynamic and embedded ads? We are actually in the midst of a pretty significant test on that with a number of networks right now where we are running baked in and DAI and we're matching past performance to new performance on that. But again, it, it all depends on the type of content that the show is doing. And if the host does a good job, like mm. if they're going to give you the same exact read and, and just pick up a script and read it live versus a dynamic, then probably won't do well. But if it's a baked in read and they naturally go into the content and you as a listener don't even realize you're listening to an ad until you know they're halfway through it, that's usually where the performance comes in because you actually have someone engaged with the listening. DAI does work sometimes just as well. But again, I think a lot of it depends on the host and how well they're able to read something. Um, and you know, I've listened to podcasts where I've realized we're in a DAI spot and kind of caught it. And then you also, there's some that say, hey, we'll be right back after this. And then it's like, you know, you're listening to a commercial break, if you will, right. during that time. So a lot of it has to do with the the hosts, uh, but we are in the midst, like I said, of a, of a pretty major test across multiple networks to basically definitively say that Baked In performs marginally or exceptionally better than mm-hmm. the AI. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, and I, I think that from my vantage point, with DAI, it really is just that we need to, as an industry, perhaps work at getting it perfected, right? So what I see is there isn't a lot of transparency between the actual impression delivery and what we're buying. And what I mean by that is you know, from a planning perspective, it's really hard for us to look into a hosting provider and say like, oh yeah, this week, this show should get a hundred thousand impressions. Like that's no problem. Like we really don't know. We can, we know on a monthly basis. So we could say like, oh yeah, we, we estimate on a monthly basis. This is how many impressions we can deliver. But then when we break it down into like week long flights or two weeks long flights, it's very unpredictable as to how many impressions are actually going to be delivered. But I don't think that it is always the best just to buy month after month after month of of DAI ads because that listener is hearing the exact same advertiser for three months in a row. And there's got to be a diminishing return on that investment. So as an industry, I do feel like we have a ways to go to really perfect DAI. But I also hate the idea of us just saying like categorically that it doesn't work because there are so many impressions that are being had every day. And I think we as an industry, really it's our responsibility to figure out how to monetize those. Um, And your responsibility, you know, more accurately is to make sure that they're actually performing for your clients. So um, I'm really fascinated that you guys are doing a study on that because I think as an industry, we could really use that information. 
Is that information you guys are planning on sharing? Or do you have to be an Oxford Road client to take advantage of that knowledge? You have to be seen on that. Yeah, okay. we're, <laughs> and we, we will, um, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't think we thought that far ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you also bring up a good point about that. You know, DAI works because you're you're basically just serving impressions at a certain level. So if you're listening to a short form podcast, you may hear that message several more times than someone who just listened that one time on there. So when we typically buy individual placements, we we do space them out. Mm-hmm. So that way someone just rolling through doesn't hear the same ad all the time. And we do have some data that suggests diminishing returns after a certain few days or weeks after a podcast launch. But um, I also think too, it all depends on the type of content. If you're if you're like a a daily news or current events program, technically there's no reason to have DAI in there because I know that a lot of networks use that to back to sell the back catalog on that end. But if no one's going to be listening to the headlines from six months ago on that, so it may as well live, live on in there. And I also think the type of client and brand and message is important in determining baked in versus DAI, because, you know, we have our, uh, like our client indeed, we just had an amazing read from a host who happens to have a, a company that she uses indeed to hire for. So she actually spoke firsthand about hiring and how it went, and she posted a job indeed, and she was telling everyone how many candidates she got. That's a hard story to tell in 60 seconds. And so with it being baked in, it, it went on for a few minutes. And while that's great added exposure, it actually that personalized element is what I was talking about earlier. The listeners don't even know they're listening to an ad because it just sounds like, hey, I was on indeed, I'm starting to look for this role and and you know, XYZ. And it just it just sounds so much more natural versus, you know, just a script that goes. But right. Right. You will see. And I think that you make a good point, which I am always an advocate for host read ads. And, you know, DAI ads don't have to be 60 seconds. They can be two minutes long, right? I mean, when that host is putting an ad insertion point in their podcast, they can run that ad for as long as the ad runs in terms of that length. But it does go back to how good a job is the host doing at creating the ad read and what kind of are they doing those hard, you know, those indicators? We all know what the indicators are of, oh, I'm about ready to hear an ad. And mm-hmm. it's not that we're trying to, of course, ever break the law or to trick everyone. Of course, we want everyone to realize that this is a sponsor. But I always recommend for our podcast that they don't say, all right, we're going to be back right after this ad break. Or, you know, really, if you can try to create content that feels as organic as possible, that's, to, in my opinion, that's the strength of podcasts. And as much as right. we can lean into that, we're going to see better results. And ultimately, the better results the client gets, the more they're going to want to come back, the better it's going to be for the entire industry. So I think that's really important. Right, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, do you feel like there is a good way for advertisers to really track the results of a campaign? Because I think you know, that is always a question of like, well, how do I track the results? And how do I know mm-hmm. if this is effective? Uh, that's a great question. And the answer changes all, almost constantly. So tried and true, I shouldn't say tried and true. So the, the, the triangulation of measurement and podcasts is you have vanity URLs, which everyone knows not everyone goes to, but it's a good indicator and it's good to use as directional on that. Um, you know, like go to client.com slash show name to go there. So very fractional number of people go there, but we have some methodologies to say like for every one person that goes there, X amount of people went depending on other factors. 
The other one is survey. We always highly recommend that our clients implement a how to hear about us survey, whether pre-purchase, part of the purchase funnel or post-purchase. And then depending on where that's placed and how many people actually fill out the survey, that also indicates how, me- how much we can weight those answers. And we are working right now with uh, one of our um, clients on an autofill feature. So like, hey, I heard you on radio. And then it said, well, where? And then you can start typing in and it pre-populates all the different options that there could be. So that way you get there. And that that data is actually coming in. And it, while it, it, it is um, adding a little bit of a new layer of complexity to everything because they're putting in some shows that we aren't airing on necessarily or that might be adjacent to it actually helps inform where we might want to test so if we have five or six entries that come in from a a host that we're are not on or might be right next to a host that we're on maybe we should go buy that show because that's where this 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 person is so it is pretty valuable and then the last one is pixel data now that's the hot button right now but there are some challenges to the pixel methodology, the baked in, like we were mentioning before, we're finding a lot of networks are having um, trouble implementing a pixel on baked in ads, uh, simply because it doesn't get tagged to a spot, has to get tagged to a whole episode on that end. But that data is probably the most accurate, I would say. I would not, never recall it 100% accurate because there are some nuances that go on there and it is last point of contact. So if, if someone's listening to six podcasts on a weekend, and they hear I add three times or two times, just that last show carry over mm-hmm. on that. Ad. So what we do is we take, we have a whole data team that takes all three of those points if a client has all three, and then we're able to come up with different multipliers and different ways of looking at it. But I would say that for a number of our clients, their podcast business is one of their top performers in terms mm-hmm. of conversions and KPIs. Because um, it is it is definitely a science that we, mm-hmm. that we apply to it. And then, you know, we also, if something's not pixeled, we use that pixel data matched with the survey data and the URL data to still buy non-pixel shows. And we apply multipliers to that, you know, based right. on different conditions and conversion rates on websites and all of that. So there's a lot of science that goes into it, but the measurement is ever changing. I know there's some legislation going on in DC right now that may change the whole pixel mm-hmm. ability, but we're a few years from that. So for right now, those are the three, it's right. URL survey and pixel. Well, and we, I think you're right. I mean, we just have to use what we can today because things change so quickly in media now that, you know, <laughs> next year it could be totally different. It, I am impressed by how complex your planning is for your clients. It isn't just as simple as, oh, you have a budget and you want to reach women, let's advertise on these mom shows. I mean, you obviously definitely have a very in-depth process that you go through mm-hmm. to really create a winning campaign. I think that that's one of the challenges sometimes for advertisers is that they look at the podcast space and they're like, oh my gosh, like that feels so complicated. I could never do that by myself. Maybe their marketing person really isn't super familiar with podcast advertising because I mean, let's face it, most marketing people aren't. So I, I guess I'm curious, do you think the average marketer really has a chance to succeed in the podcast space? Or do you really feel like they're much better off working with a media buying agency like yours? I think it depends on your goals as a client. If you are a, you know, a Coca-Cola or PNG and you you just need your name out there, you probably are best to go buy the top shows. That's your mm-hmm. widest reach. There's no calls to action. You're not tracking individual sale conversions and you're just casting a wide net. And that's when you can go buy the big shows. But when you're actually trying to catch, that's why we are a direct response agency where you're trying to track that 
those big shows are great for audience reach, but you're reaching so many people. You're also, there's a lot of waste there too, because your target's only a, a very small number inside that audience. And so we, we utilize a lot of, um, like I said, a lot of the tools to do that, but I do feel like there's different ways to buy podcasts now, but for the truest uh, way to do it is through a, a very experienced agency in that world. Because we only discussed the planning part of it so far. I mean, once once something's approved, we have a whole team that works with the host to onboard them and do calls with every single host and send them the copy and send them the product and make sure that they're hitting their points. And then listening to the air checks to making sure that they hit all the points. And if they didn't hit the points, it goes back to media to negotiate and say, Hey, well, they've read the wrong read or the X, Y, Z. So it's, it's so much more gets done even after the buy that Mm -hmm. uh, you need a pretty uh, specialized team in place to make sure that all of those boxes are getting checked along the, the process. Right. Do you ever have clients who are like, I'm going back to social media, like this is just way too much work or I'm just going to go buy terrestrial radio. Uh-huh. Like, do you feel like clients get overwhelmed with all all of this? I mean, and obviously your goal at Oxford is to cushion them from all of this detail, mm-hmm. but still there is there is a lot of decisions that they still have to make. Do you find that clients get overwhelmed by it or not? Rarely. We're there to make sure they don't get overwhelmed. We're there sure. to make sure that their, their job's easier and just approving things. So we've... Mm-hmm. You know, I've learned from clients who are new to the space, they know nothing about podcasts. Remember, they know a lot about podcasts. That's how we tailor media plans for them. For those who are very, very detail-oriented and, and well, they're all detail-oriented, but those who have a very big knowledge of the space, we'll share everything, all the details you want with them. For those that don't and feel a little overwhelmed by it, we will present media plans that are simply just the show name, a quick description, and that's it. Just And we just ask them, we don't even ask them to approve line by line. We'll give them number of shows and just say, we're going to buy within this list here. Just let us know if there's anyone on this list that you don't want to be associated with on that. And and we just try to make it easy because then if we give someone who doesn't know about the podcast industry, you know, a full list of details from CPMs and you know, rates and impressions and cancel terms and all of that, that's for our job to make sure that we are getting you the best rate and we know the cancel terms or we're not going to put you in harm's way. So we try to make it easy for that, especially when we're dealing with clients that are spending, you know, millions a month in podcasts. Like you, you can't get down to that level of granularity on every single one. Right, right. There just isn't, yeah, there isn't the time for that, I'm sure. I know you brought up brand advertising and obviously Oxford is performance direct marketing or direct response agency. Are you finding that brand advertisers are coming to Oxford to say, hey, you've obviously done super well with DR, like let's Let's, you know, use your services from a, a brand perspective. We have a few clients who are, are leaning that way. We also have some direct response clients that have branding initiatives that come up. Great. And they want to utilize podcasts because of the success they've had on that. So there may be a new product that's launching that they're not going to really judge it by immediate conversion. So we're able to then loosen the reins and say, great, well, let's go buy, you know, NPR or <laughs> whatever it might be that that's a little shorter duration unit and um, and so on. But we we are seeing that from time to time. But we also implement a, a level of brand safety and suitability into all of our campaigns. And that's very important to a lot of brands where they're doing awareness or direct response. And we have some great partnerships with AdFontes and Barometer to make sure that a client, if they have a very specific brand safety concern as a, as an, as a company or mm-hmm. values that they need to uphold, we have services 
that we offer to make sure that all of our buying is done within those parameters. And that's actually where a lot of the bigger brands are starting to take notice is because, you know, even though you're a big major national brand, you still have brand safety concerns or, or, or rules to, to stay within. And we can help guide that in the podcast space. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me, and it sounds like this is what you're saying, that larger brands are more concerned probably with brand safety. I always think like if you're kind of a scrappy startup and like, you know, you're just doing, you know, direct to consumer products from a website, you probably don't care as much as, you know, P&G cares about their reputation, right? No, you'd be surprised. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say we're about mixed bag. We have some clients that will be pretty loose. They have their limits. You sure. Know, with certain shows we're just not going to touch. But then you have others that are almost the opposite because they do have a very, very careful image and they don't want to have any missteps early on while they're still fundraising and, and going out there. So it is a mixed bag, I would say. Well, then it's so hard in podcasting because you're working with independent producers, right? And you really don't know what they're saying or what they're doing. And, I'm, you know, we interviewed Barometer just a couple weeks ago, Tamara over there, and she's great. And I was so impressed with what they're doing because it does seem like they've created a really good system to try and catch those things because it's not an easy thing. And when you've got 800 episodes, not the representation agency or the network or the agency that's doing the media buying could be expected to come through all 800 episodes to be like, oh, shoot, in episode 100, they really just did a, you know, a doozy. And when we're running dynamic ad insertion and you could be adjacent to that content, there's a lot to consider there. Well, we work with our clients to make sure that we set parameters like you know, and organize their comfortability with um, within brand safety and certain elements too. Some of them don't care about cursing or explicit language. Right. But the minute it comes to any climate change conversations, like it's off, you know, because like, they, they have very, very, you know, sustainability initiatives at, at their company and all that. And we have other clients that, you know, you just, you kind of just know sometimes from the show too, like I'll use office ladies as an example, you know, that show um, is fairly brand safe. They do use a little cursing here and there, but you know, we, that's a show that you're never going to just turn around. And all of a sudden they're going to go off on some big political stands because they're talking about episodes of the office. So while they may have some language in there and it may appear that it's, it's an unsafe environment when you really dig in deeper, which is the great tool of barometer, you can, you know, pull, pull your lever to see, you know, how, how uh, severe the language is when you really dig deeper, it's not. So there's some shows that you just know, and then we utilize those tools to, if there's ever like a, a yellow zone of, well, I don't know, let's discuss it with the client. We want to get you on these shows. We know that it performs really well for other clients, but here's what you need to know. Mm-hmm. It could be next to this type of content. And then we have a discussion with the client and, and make a de- determination there. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Um, well, I know we need to start wrapping it up, but before we do, I am curious if you have a few tips that you would give someone who is looking to maybe get into podcast advertising, but isn't really sure where to start. I would say the biggest tip that we're seeing, is, well, the biggest I would give is, is just know your audience. If you're, if you have a very, very, um, niche target, or there's something very unique about your product, focus on that to go find where you should be spending your podcast dollars. We have a client that's very eco-friendly. They have products made out of like recycled materials and all that. And so for them, 
with the if they were to have a limited budget, I would probably direct them to upcycling podcasts or you know podcasts that are about uh, sustainability and just really. I mean, that sounds a little natural to go that way, but then there may be the appeal to go see. Can we get on Office Ladies? Can we get our name on there? Uh, and the the price of entry on bigger shows like that may not be worth the the outcome that you get. So you may want to start small. Just know your audience. Try to target those shows, and then as you start to see success, then you can start opening your your uh, radius of of testing. But it's all about the insights, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's more about consumer behavior versus demographics. It's uh, maybe the the way to put the period on that. It's about where are these people shopping? What do they like to do? What are their listening habits? What are they you know What are they doing during their day? Are they in the car? carting kids around all day uh, to school and back? Are they at home? Are they busy? Are they business owners? And that will tell you a lot about which podcast you should be on versus <laughs> just household income, gender, zip code type of information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Great. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been so great having you on the show. And if people are interested in connecting with you or potentially working with Oxford Road, where, where should they go? They should go to oxfordroad.com. They can follow us on LinkedIn. We have a great uh, weekly newsletter called The Influencer that goes out that's filled with a lot of industry insights and news and information. And our podcast is on there as well. But LinkedIn, Oxford Road or oxfordroad.com. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, James. It's been great chatting with you. And thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that this episode has been super informative and that you have learned a bit about how to create a really successful podcast ad campaign. If you are interested in learning more about podcast advertising, head on over to truenativemedia.com and download our podcast advertising guide. Have a terrific day and we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast advertising industry. 